Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 20th day of December 2013. And today we're reading from the big book. We're in the chapter, The Doctor's Opinion, and we're on page XXX, the third paragraph that begins, There is a Type of Man. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Margaret K., the 12 Traditions, Susie K., and then it will be Kim, Sharon, Hoodie, and Katie G. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday the 19th, is 5646, 5646. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA, to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Margaret Kay to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret Recovered in South Jersey. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of... (coughs) Excuse me made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Margaret Kay. I will now ask Susie Kay to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Susie Kay from Maine, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. 
they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Susie Kay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, The Doctor's Opinion. We are on page XXX, the third paragraph that begins, There is the type of man. And I will ask Kim to begin reading, please. Thanks, Monica. There is a type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is a type who always believes that after entirely being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is a manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are the types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, and friendly people. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So we're in the doctor's opinion. They're talking about the classification of alcoholics. You know, how does this disease manifest, and what does it look like in different people? So I can see myself throughout these paragraphs, you know, unwilling to admit I cannot take a drink because after all, weight is my problem. 
So if I can just keep myself to 1,500 calories, it doesn't matter if I'm just having an ice cream sundae every single day. If that's the 1,500 calories, that is fine. Of course, I never can keep myself to that and wind up binging. You know, he plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand. I mean, you know, if, if it's organic, it's okay. If I get it from the whole food restaurant, it's okay. If it's sugar-free, fat-free, gluten-free, you know, all these different ways that every form of experimentation and deception we're going to use to try to prove that we're not an alcoholic. But I think the other way I want to look at this is how we separate ourselves in our fellowship, which is so sad. Because we think we need someone we can relate to. That's the big thing I hear. Well, I need someone I can relate to. So if we're obese, we only want to talk to people that are obese. I mean, we have 100-pounder meetings. And if you lose 90 pounds, then you're not part of that 100-pounder meeting. You know, we have meetings where people say, well, I'm bulimic and I can't relate to someone else. I remember going to a retreat and I'm bulimic, but since... I don't throw up as much and I more use exercise and I need to find people that are bulimic like me. You know, I, I throw up, I use laxatives, I use um, exercise, and then if you're anorexic, well, I can't be around people that, that, that are not anorexic. And it's such a shame because we're going to find out in the next paragraph that what is a compulsive overeater? We have an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. That is what unites us. In the allergy of the body, we have to discover what causes those things that create the phenomenon of craving, and we have to abstain from it. And then the obsession of the mind, we all are united, absolutely united on the solution being these 12 steps and getting a relationship with a higher power. I think at this point, there are 12-step programs that are registered separately for food. So we keep separating ourselves, keep making ourselves extra special. And then even within OA, we have a lot of factions that say, well, no, this is what abstinence means, and this is what abstinence means. And if you go on World Service site, there's, you know, men meetings, and there's 100-pounder meetings, and there's vegan meetings, and there's gay and lesbian meetings, and all these different things. Because we want to feel united in how the problem is manifested. I think we need to get to the point that we acknowledge the problem is allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, and let's get united on how we can solve that problem, putting the food down and working these 12 steps. So whether or not you can identify in with any of these five different types of alcoholics, that's wonderful. But let's get down to the, to the brass taxes, which is allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, and the solution is working these 12 steps in order, getting that relationship with a higher power, and then the obsession will be removed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And would anyone like to comment on these two paragraphs? Katie from Boston. Katie from Virginia. All right, Katie, and then Katie from Virginia. Good morning, everyone. Grateful to be here. Recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for your service. And thank you, Kim, for your sharing so far. Um, I love this paragraph. It reminds me of um, another really powerful, powerful paragraph that talks about we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever regains control. All of us felt at times we were regaining control. 
but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. 228, 110 pounds, those are my numbers. That's pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And the truth is that is those are just the symptoms. But the fact is, is that I have this allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and I get free from food for a while, and I start telling myself the lie that I am safe now. And, you know, I heard the most powerful message once, I cannot eat on the truth. Wow. Right? Because say you pick up your binge food, whatever it is, or you pick up your binge activity before, right? The moment before. Can you look at that food? Can you look at that laxative? Can you look at that behavior and say the truth? Because the truth is for me, when I picked up laxatives, what did that mean? It meant that I was going to throw up in downtown Northampton, all over the community, and then I was going to go to the grocery store and keep eating, and I was going to get asked to leave my house where I had a house with my partner, and I was going to go and have to hospitalize myself, and, and, and. That is the truth. That is the truth. So I find that so powerful that, like, I I can convince myself, I can lie to myself um, that by making all of these changes, you know, all of the diets, all of the exercise programs, that those those external factors are going to change me, right? But I need an internal rearrangement. I have to put the food down and put the food behaviors down and have an internal entire psychic change so that I can stop. It's not just about finding a little food plan and doing a few tools now and then. For me, this is pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. For me, this is life and death. This isn't about, oops, I had a slip, I had a slap, or whatever. This is about a life and death illness that I cannot just simply put a Band-Aid on. I need a deep rearrangement. And uh, if you're new, hold on to your seats because you're going on for the ride of your life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. And Katie from Virginia, go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And this paragraph, you know, basically describes my life for, you know, the 18 years I was in the food that I was constantly trying to find the right food plan, the right diet, the right whatever, and I wasn't uh, willing to be honest about what actual foods that are on most diets um, are a problem for me. You know, it has nothing to do with sugar, um, flour. They're just certain foods that I will, for whatever reason, cannot have. And but I think the the key I wanted to focus on with this um this paragraph is the fact that um it's uh um he he plans this and he does this and he does that. And the first step is we admitted we were powerless over food. So I couldn't do this on my own. I need to have uh I need professional help with a with you know, how I needed to eat and the right portions for my body size. And I need um, to work with another recovered person. If I could figure this out on my own, then why in the world would I be here? 
You know, and it doesn't matter that I don't eat exactly the same as everybody I talk to. I mean, some of my sponsees, when they tell me their food, in my head, I'm thinking, yuck, you know, and I've tried, you know, various things that other people seem to enjoy, and I don't like it. Does that mean I can't be friends with them and I can't, uh, you know, be on this this road with them? No. We don't all eat the same food, but we do have to work with another person. This is not a me, myself, and I program. This is a we program with Battle Pass. Yes, good morning. Yes, and who is this, please? Cindy from Philadelphia. Okay, Cindy, go ahead. Um, I need to share that I'm recovering in Overeaters Anonymous, but up until last night, I was also recovering alcoholic, and I went to a Christmas party where I live, and I thought if I didn't eat, if I wouldn't eat if I could have a glass of wine, and I had a glass of wine, and then I had two, and then I had four, and then I couldn't. I had trouble walking home last night. I got lost, and I got home, and I thought I was going to throw up, and the room was spinning, and I broke my sobriety of 14 years, and I wanted to call this morning to confess because tonight I have to go to a meeting and get a coin that I'm starting over, and I'm very embarrassed. Um, well, but, keep keep coming back and keep listening, Cindy, okay? Thank you. You're welcome. This is Sally. Good morning. Sally. Good morning. Okay, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> All right, I heard Sorry, Sally. Liz. Liz. And was there someone else? Okay, Sally and then Liz. And please, there's been uh, quite a bit of noise on the line. Will everybody please mute and only the speaker be unmuted? Thank you. Go ahead, Sally. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally. Recovered in South Jersey. Um, What a wonderful paragraph. It speaks to all of us, I know. Um, It's describing different types, but it's all me, 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 me. And I know it's all all of us. There is a type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. And it's interesting that... um, my dear friend Katie G brought us to this page 30 that talks about control, control, control. But across the page, across the street, on this opposite side on page 31 in the middle of the page, it tells us, heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. And so this first type reminds me that I always wanted to just be normal. Couldn't I just eat like normal people? But I wasn't like other people. So when it says there's a type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink, that was me. I was the one who just wanted to be like everyone else. Couldn't I just do it moderately? Couldn't I just be temperate? Why did I have to be black and white? Why did I have to be so compulsive about this? But I couldn't because that just wasn't me. I'm not like other people. When it goes on to say he plans various ways of drinking, He changes his brand, his environment. Oh, I know we all relate. I had the diet where I only let myself eat until 3 o'clock, and then I went out of starvation because I was so good at starving, so I just won't eat past 3 o'clock. I did that one for a while. Then I did the diet where I didn't eat till 3 o'clock. I held on tight. Control, control, take your belt. Don't do it. And then at 3 (laughs) o'clock, 
eat until I just, my eyes were bulging. All kinds of control, control tactics. It goes on to say he, there is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, we know this guy, he's in the book, he didn't drink for 30 years and then he retired and he went on a bender and he, he killed himself basically in the alcohol. He drank himself to death within four years. He thinks he can take a drink without danger. This is the page 24 and page 42 in the book over and over. It tells us in this book, especially on those two pages, it reminds us of the blind spot that we live in, that we have the greater aspect of our disease is that we have a memory deficit. We forget the pain, the suffering, the, the suffering, the boxing ring that we've been in, and we've done all these rounds with all these different diets. And then there's the manic depressive type. But of course, the writer of the book, Bill, Admit, admits himself that he's a lot, he's like this, the manic depressive type. And all of these types that they're giving us, they're us in different phases, different different times because we have a progressive illness. And so I'm just so grateful that it was written so articulately. It describes me to a T, and that's what they're doing here. They're saying, hey, are you one of us? Can you identify in? And the most precious part of it is we are a we. Even the first word of of these pages and, and throughout the pages it talks about the we, we. The solution is, it is God. The solution is God. And we are so blessed because we also learn that the only way to break shame is to say, me too, just like you, I'm just like you. Thanks for letting me share, Monica. Thank you, Sally. Liz, go ahead. Hi, this is Liz from New Hampshire. Go ahead. Uh, I think the first thing that strikes me is the, when I first came into OA uh, in the 80s, I was abstinent for 13 years, and I don't think I ever really took step one because for those 13 years, the only thing that mattered to me was my food, my next meal, my next meal, my next meal, and where am I going to get the biggest piece of fruit? Where am I going to get the biggest this, the biggest this, the biggest this? I was obsessed with my food for 13 years, and I never had that spiritual aspect of my program, and I my, lost my abstinence after 13 years, and um, when I came back into the program two years ago, I've been unable to get abstinent since, and I've had all sorts of plans. Well, I can be abstinent for, you know, two weeks and then pick up, and then I can be abstinent for a few days and then pick up, and that was my plan. That was going to be my abstinence. Well, it didn't really work because those periods of absence became shorter and shorter and my life became more and more unmanageable and I became more and more miserable and um, going to listening to meetings wasn't happening and making phone calls wasn't happening and nothing was really working. And then I picked up the phone and called Indivision for You and I started listening to what everyone was talking about and a light bulb went off in my brain, and I realized that what I really had to do was go through the steps, and um, that I had to really do some hard work, and that I'd never done that hard work, that I'd never found, that I'd never had that spiritual awakening, that I was not really in recovery at all, and that I was deciding how I was going to do it, that it was my plan, and that I had no willingness whatsoever and so what I've done 
and I'm very happy to say, is I have found a sponsor, and I have decided that I have to do whatever is necessary to get recovered because I have to get out of the driver's seat. I love being in control. I want to control everything. My food, your food, your life, everybody's life, and I'm losing. I'm I'm completely losing. I haven't. Where have I gotten? Nowhere. So I just want to say how grateful I am that I got on this meeting, that I found out what the real solution is, and it's here that I have a sponsor. I will do everything and anything she tells me to do because this is, for me, I think someone referred to that the tent uh, in the backyard of the house at the end of the, at the end of the block. Well, I'm in the tent, and um, <laughs> and I feel like I finally reached a place where I'm going to get the help I need. But most of all, I'm willing because I Good. want to get thank. Thank Better. you so thank you. thank you thank you so much, Cindy. Yeah, keep listening, keep coming back. And this is Monica, and I'd like to jump in here for. Okay, so we're in the doctor's opinion here, and this this is doctor's letter that Doctor Silkworth has written, and he's a man who worked with over fifty thousand alcoholics. So he's telling us here in these few paragraphs about the classifications of alcoholics. That this is what he has seen over his years of experience. And um, so in our paragraph here, he says, the type of man who's unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. Um, And he goes on and he tells us, you know, the manic depressive time, you know, manic depressive, uh, bouts of extreme highs and extreme lows. And, And then the last one, the entirely normal. Well, I have to admit, when my sponsor asked me, what did I identify with when I read this to her? And I said, oh, hey, I'm the last one, you know. I'm entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They're often able, intelligent, friendly people. And I believe that. And today I laugh and I think, oh, my God, how dishonest I was. How could I have sat there and read up above that, you know, we're always going on the wagon for keeps. Yeah, 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 I was always going to do that. I was always over-remorseful. Man, the next morning after that binge, that was it. I'd had enough. I wasn't doing any more, and I was going to be good today, blah, blah, blah. You know, make many resolutions. And I did, lots and lots of resolutions, but never a decision. And then, you know, um, planning different ways of eating, you know, Uh, changing the brand, changing the diet. Well, if I do this, well, if I get this, then I'll be very good. I want this really, really bad. So I'm going to be good if I get this. And maybe I was free from food for a while, but it never would last. And so now it's like I look back on this and I thought, oh, my God, how dishonest I was. But you know what? That's what working through these steps did for me. It showed me that I was dishonest, that I was a very selfish person, that I was self-seeking in many ways, that I was very fearful. And that was all that black, swirling, something nasty stuff inside of me that I could never explain to a therapist or anybody. And the only thing I knew what to do was to bury it with food. And by working this process and doing the steps, 
I learned this stuff. Wow. It's an amazing trip. And if you want recovery, this is what you do. And first of all, you know, I had to admit that, yeah, I am a true compulsive overeater. Would anyone else like to share on these two um, paragraphs here before we move on? Karen from New Hampshire. Did you say Sharon or Karen? Karen. Karen. Go ahead, Karen. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Karen from New Hampshire, compulsive overeater. And um, I'm grateful to be able to hear and comprehend this reading today. And um, you know what? I think, I'm not sure if we read this or not, but I think we did read it. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And, um, you know, they suggested it for the alcoholic, and we're suggesting it to follow the same program as a compulsive ovarina eater. And then my, I had to get a food sponsor, and um, this is in the initial physical stage. And when she suggested uh, things, you know, I had to, actually several food sponsors because I was not honest in the beginning. I just wanted to lose weight and get the food under control. Um, but probably I still have the same food sponsor that I, well, this food sponsor has been with me for five years. So I have been entirely abstinent um, for five years, and I'm very grateful for that. And one day at a time, we arrested different foods that were triggering my allergy. And, um, you know, I had problems so forth, but this was just the physical piece of my disease. And um, and then eventually, I also was led through. I'm lucky because I'm in two programs, um, so I get to. I get, um, my other sponsor led me through the um, the steps of Big Book um, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and not till I actually did the work did I start getting. It says here to get relief. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. That definitely was the first step for me. So the relief came, but then my life was still in abstinence. It was still, I had still had many problems, many problems with many with everybody. <laughs> and uh, I was going up in some ways with um, accolades in my life, but um, I still couldn't get along with people. And... Um, so I really, and I still really wasn't working with God. I still kept that a big fat secret to myself. And um, But I have to say today that um, I have been through the steps, and today I do have um, a belief and a faith in God. And, and only through working the steps did I come to this point, because everything else has been pretty much stripped of me. And I'm grateful for that because that's what it took for me today. So I'm at the point right now in my life where I can give. I can give back. I have something to give. And, um, and for the people that shared this morning, I want to thank you and um, just wish everybody a great day. Thanks. Thanks, Karen. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, would you read that, please? Absolutely, Monica. Good morning to you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, 
may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So here we have the the problem and the solution in one paragraph. The the problem is that we can't start drinking without developing this phenomenon craving, which means we want more and more and more. We can't stop. Once we start, we can't stop. And once we stop, we can't keep ourselves from starting again. So the in this sentence, in this paragraph, the thing that stands out to me with getting relief, with getting recovery, was first finding myself in in this problem, identifying with the problem, recognizing that indeed I am one of this distinct group. It's not until I can accept that and admit that that I can accept the answer, the solution. When I first came into the rooms 22 years ago, I miserable. I was actually referred to this program by a, a medical professional and had gone through doctors. I'd been on medical disability twice. All I could all, trace it all at its core to the way I was eating. And the way I was eating would affect me physically. And I knew it would do this to me. But yet I couldn't help but start. I couldn't help myself, and I would end up in the emergency room. I would end up in doctors because I have, I'm actually medically, physically scratch test allergic to dairy and wheat. I eat those things, and they create physical asthma uh, and and uh, symptoms similar, very similar to arthritis with the wheat, the, the joint pain and aching and swelling. Yet, I would eat those things anyway. A little bit won't hurt. Just one bite. And I would end up in the emergency room with the doctors, ultimately on disability, not able to work. And yet, when I finally got into the room, the medical professional told me, asked me if I would go, if she if she found the location. She said, I... I I heard of a group of women who are meeting and they seem to have the same problem that you have with sugar because we had normal, narrowed it down. If I, we knew that if I ate sugar, I would get out, I would be out of control. I would end up with asthma and sick. And they have the same problem, she said, as you do. Will you go? And I said, sure, sure, I'll go. Anything. I'm, I want relief. I got to get I've got to get reco- uh, recovery from this problem because it's killing me. I came, I went to the rooms and I listened. And the first day I got there, I'm like, oh gosh, that's me. If I keep going, I would get tears. I cried my first meeting. And 
and then they gave me the book. They told me about the book. I started reading the book, and and I re- started reading the pages, and, and I started marking it up because I was like, well, this isn't. I I couldn't really identify myself in these types of men. Uh, I couldn't see myself. But this sentence in this paragraph says all these and many more, all these referring to these type of alcoholics, these type of drinking drinkers that have been defined. If you don't find yourself in these pages in directly in, the, in what Bill says, he wants to be inclusive. If you cannot find yourself specifically in the person described, if you haven't done the thing, I came into the rooms. I was not overweight. I wanted to be thinner, but I was not obese. I was 130 pounds. I wasn't huge. Yet, and so I looked around the rooms, and I, in my mind, I tried to say, I'm not one of them because I don't look at like them. I haven't done exactly what they've done. And you would, can you believe that I did that? I said that in my mind. I tried to give myself a way out. I tried to say, maybe I'm not like them, even though I was killing myself with food. But right here, it, it closes the door on a way out for me. All these and many more, many more. You may not be one of these that Bill described here. But if when you start eating, you cannot stop. And if once you stop, you cannot help but start again, then you are one of us. I, it doesn't matter what your body size is. It doesn't matter if you eat it and then throw it up. It doesn't matter if you eat tons and tons of carrots. If you, when you start eating, you cannot stop when you want to. And when you do stop, if you can't help, if it goes through your mind over and over, or even if it doesn't go through your mind, you just go get it, then indeed you are one of us and you can be helped. There is relief. There is relief, but it is drastic. Once you stop, you must never, ever, ever pick up. You must never say a little bit. A little bit won't hurt because a little bit will kill you. Because for us, once we, t- once we make that one decision, to pick up that one bite, we can never, ever stop with our own willpower. It has to run its course, and it's only by the grace of a power greater than ourselves that we can ever, ever stop again. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Lauren, Leah. Lauren, and then Leah, and then Julie. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, 
what's really helped me in these paragraphs talking about the allergy and the phenomenon of craving is, well, one is I like to identify myself. Do I believe this allergy differentiates me, Lauren, from these people and sets me apart from other people? And I've identified that absolutely. And anytime I ingest my ingredients, and I've identified several ingredients of mine that are allergies. Um, I can, well, I'm, I'm not going to say what they are because I just, we all have our own, but many of them are common to other compulsive readers. Anytime I ingest these ingredients, Physically, my stomach fills up. It fills up. I'm getting calories in my body. I'm getting food in my body. But mentally, something very weird happens. I get hungrier. And when I take bite number three, I want even more food. And I eat even more quickly. And then when I get bite 100 in, the food might be gone. But I'm even hungrier than when I started. And for some reason, that after 20 minutes, that mental signal that says, okay, Lauren, your body's had enough, put the food down, and now you can go to work or go to class or, or live your day. I cannot. And mentally, I am even hungrier than when I began. Now, that's happened every single time when I ingest these ingredients, every single time. A normal person, they eat more slowly and less quantity as their stomach physically fills up and that mental signal gets to their brain. They don't get that phenomenon. It's it's a phenomenon. So even though physically, yes, my body fills up, I get calories in, I mentally don't get that signal. So I know my allergy when I ingest these certain foods is absolutely real. It's not it's not fantasy. It's not make make believe it's absolutely my truth. Uh, thank you, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Leah, please go ahead. Thank you so much, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Studying the doctor's opinion, uh, this is what Dr. William Silkworth writes. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, this rare event, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. Um, Dr. William Silkworth was the first, um, you know, person to to come up with this idea after working with thousands and thousands of alcoholics. Um, he realized he found that when alcoholics took even a little bit of alcohol into their system. This switch went on, all the bells and whistles started ringing um, inside their body, and there was only one thing that the alcoholic wanted to do, and that was to drink more alcohol. And, of course, an alcoholic will drink and drink and drink and get drunk, and they are powerless over that once that switch is turned on. They have no choice. They are biologically mandated to continue to drink. And when this was presented to me, this material, and I was encouraged to review my eating history, 
I, too, could identify certain substances that had this very same effect on me. You know, where I am biologically mandated to continue eating that substance. Once I begin, I eat more than I ever intended, and I can't predict when I will stop. And this doctor's opinion speculates that alcoholics have an allergy, which is an abnormal reaction. You know, uh, I have daughters who have abnormal reactions to strawberries, to tuna, you know, uh, to, to other types of fish. They have an abnormal reaction. In their case, they get hives. They break out in welts. Uh, that is an abnormal reaction for me, for, well, for the alcoholic. Once the alcoholic puts alcohol into his body, he reacts in a way that demands more alcohol. That is a phenomenon of craving. Um, phenomenon, again, meaning a rare experience. Other people don't experience that. Normal people do not experience that. They get enough. They get satisfied. And I am bodily different. My very cells demand to be satisfied beyond my ability to control it. Instead of satisfying my hunger, when I put certain substances into my body, I am compelled to eat beyond rational consumption. For me, it's like throwing a match into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! You know, it, is, it becomes more ferocious. That is my reality. I had to learn that these certain substances have a physical effect on me. I had to accept that, that these foods. And part of what I needed to do uh, in step one is to understand what those foods were for me so that I could abstain from them. I had to identify what those substances were for Leah Marcus, and I have to abstain from that. Why is that? Well, because the big book teaches me here. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. What does eradicated mean? Eradicated means removed. It means completely destroyed. My book teaches me the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. I had to come to accept this fact about me. You know, uh, no one attends AA thinking that he or she is going to continue drinking while working the steps. They stop drinking. <laughs> they do anything to stop drinking. What we have to do in Overeaters Anonymous to apply the same information is we have to stop our And the only way to stop the craving is to stop eating foods that cause our craving. That is something that I had to accept. So people who have cancer accept that they have cancer. <laughs> people who have AIDS accept that they have AIDS. People who have, are blind accept that they cannot see. I had to accept that there were certain food substances and certain ingredients that created this phenomenon of craving in me, and I had to eliminate those substances and eating behaviors in order to be clear enough and available enough for this spiritual journey that was ahead. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Julie, your turn. This is Paula. May I share? Uh, first Julie and then Paula. Oops, sorry. 
No problem. <laughs> Hi. <clears throat> Hi, this is Julia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And, um, you know, the paragraph when it starts, we cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. You know, but what happens to me before I pick up is that obsession that I get, and I don't know that I'm in that obsession, but I do know that I have to eat, and I'm driven, and then I pick up, and then I become that rapacious creditor where I can't stop. I mean, we're literally, I would go from food to food, from event to event, and without even wanting to stop, it was beyond that. I had no control. Um, and that could last an hour, it could last six hours, it could have last a week, a month. And I don't know. Anytime I pick up, I don't know what's going to happen. It it might be the end for me. And, you know, it's an allergy, and an allergy is always going to happen. Uh, it's somebody was saying on the meeting a couple weeks ago, you know, if they're allergic to bees, they have their, their shot that they have to um, have nearby. But it's always going to happen. Every time I get stung, this is going to happen. Every time I eat one of my alcoholic foods, this is going to happen. And <clears throat> I always thought, you know, well, after I got a period of time, after I was separated from certain things, I could go back and just have it on Sunday. Like, you know, a lot of the top health professionals tell you that, you, oh, you, you can have an off day that helps your metabolism. Anytime I picked up the one bite, everything in the house was gone. And then that whole cycle starts again. Remorse, guilt, shame, manipulation, control. Um, I'm going to do it. Tomorrow's going to be better. And tomorrow never came. And it's only, you know, that last sentence, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. I have my list of my alcoholic foods, and I don't go there. Um, I have enough proof of having this disease since I was eight and I'm 54 that I don't need to try anymore. I am going to have an allergy. I will develop the phenomenon of craving. I will get back to 277 pounds. It's not a question, maybe, it's yes. I am not, like, I'm not normal. Um, And that sets me apart from other people. And through the steps, I no longer want to pick up my alcoholic foods. It's not a white knuckle. It's a part of who I am. I just don't eat those things. Um, you know, for me, I weigh and measure my food. That's me. But I love this. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, not part-time abstinence because that won't work. But, you know, I can only stay abstinent working with my God and having that real relationship with my God. Um, or I'll just go back to the food. So thank you so much for this meeting and everybody's service. I'll pass. Thank you, Julie. And Paula, go ahead. And thank you, thank you, um, Monica. And also, I am so sorry for stepping on your toes, Julie. And, uh, oh, I'm learning and listening here, but I'm going to sit right on this first paragraph. And this is where I had sat for so long. Then there are types, entirely normal, in every respect, just look at that word, every respect, except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. Without, I was 
able, intelligent, and friendly. I was all of those. But then the transformation now here in a negative way. Put the alcohol in. Begin the compulsive eating. And when I say begin, you don't know when it's going to end or where it's going to take you. But, you know, then I wasn't able. Then I wasn't intelligent. And then I wasn't friendly. And even if I peered that way on the outside, let me tell you, there was none of that on the inside. But you know the paragraph goes on, and I'm going to scoot on to that last line. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Well, isn't that what is said on the first line? We're normal then. Then we're normal. When I do the steps, God then transforms me into who I was supposed to be. He restores. Isn't that the word that's used here? How often? Restores. Now I know the difference. I know what a phenomenon is in both areas. And it says an appearance whose cause is not immediate, obvious. When I picked up, it wasn't immediately obvious, but let me tell you, it became obvious. When I picked up the steps, it wasn't immediately obvious. Oh, it says clearly in the big book, would make a skeptic of anyone. Today, though, no. The phenomenon is, it's obvious. I've walked the steps. I learned the steps. I lived the steps. And I get the steps away. There it says to demonstrate. So much said in a couple of paragraphs. So much said in a life transformed. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And this is Monica once again, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And this is a very, very important paragraph here that Dr. Silkworth has written to us. And, um, and he's trying to get it across to us here that we have an allergy. We have an abnormal reaction when we ingest our alcoholic foods. And that this is something that only we have. Normal people do not have this allergy. And he says, and it says, um, it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. That was true in 1939 when this was written. And it's still true today in 2013. And it's still true today that the only relief we have is to is entire abstinence from our allergic foods, our alcoholic foods, because we have an allergy. Some reason we are made differently bi- biologically or what chemically, genetically, there's something different about us that we have this allergy. And if, and he's saying here, if you take one single drop of alcohol, you will set off this abnormal reaction. And then we're off to the races. And medical science, medical research has proven that in the alcoholic, just for a little extra FYI here, that when an alcoholic ingests alcohol, they produce acetone. And, when, and what this acetone does is it produces, they want more. It causes the craving for more. 
And the more alcohol they drink, the more acetone they produce, the more and more and more they want. So that makes sense to me. So we probably do something like that too. Something is different in our bodies. And I don't have to like it. It's not my fault, but I have a responsibility. If I want recovery, I have a responsibility. And the other thing I wanted to say was when we ingest an uh, alcoholic food, the reaction doesn't have to be immediately. You know, I played games with that. Well, I can eat this. It didn't cause me to crave right away. No, but maybe the next day or the day after, I found myself back in food again and was wondering why. The only relief is entire abstinence because I have an allergy to these foods, an abnormal reaction, and every single time until the day I die, if I take one of these, I'm going to set off that craving. I'm going to be on a roller coaster, and who knows when I'll get off, if I get off. But you know what? There's a solution and there's a way out of here. Number one is call it identifying our binge foods and putting them down. And then working these steps, getting a relationship with God, which will then help us with that obsession of the mind. And you know what? You won't want those foods. There's thousands of other wonderful healthy foods out there for us to eat. And with that, we've come to the end of our time for today, and I would like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Hoodie, could you please read a vision for you? Good morning, Monica. Hoodie, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um... Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own health is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you treasure the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. Thank you, Hoodie.